0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. Today, we are thrilled to introduce a guest who is passionate about the power of multifamily real estate, Justin Dixon. He's the founder of Great Venture Capital, LLC, and a specialist in the acquisition of 100-plus unit multifamily apartment complexes. Having grown up watching his parents work hard only to miss out on opportunities to grow their wealth, Justin decided to take a different approach. And he fell in love with commercial real estate. He believes in living differently, in escaping the rat race. And he's here to share his insights with us today. Not only that, but Justin is the host of the Work Hard, Invest Harder podcast, where he explores different passive investing options. We are excited to dive into this conversation. But before we get started, I know it's scary and uncomfortable doing something for the first time. I got started investing in real estate five short years ago. Since then, I've invested in many different multifamily properties, both as a limited partner and as a general partner. If you have questions, I'm here to help Visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and let's get those questions answered. This episode is sponsored by Cashflow Portal, real estate syndication software that accelerates capital raising. I'm both an LP and a GP in many multifamily deals. I've used many different software applications for the capital raising process and I like Cashflow Portal the most. I'm so confident in the software and the Cashflow Portal team that I've become an investor in the company. If you are a syndicator looking for a software platform, then let the Cashflow Portal team know that you heard about them on Darren's podcast and you will automatically receive three months off an annual contract. You can find the company at cashflowportal.com.
1: Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder.
0: Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Justin Dixon. Justin, appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Yeah, no, excited to be here. Uh, Looking forward to it. Awesome. Um, So just a little bit on how
0: we know each other. This is the first time that Justin and I are are actually speaking. I know of Justin through social media and being in the the multifamily world. Um, And he he also recently started a podcast. So I want him to talk about that as well. Um, But with that, can you start by sharing with the listeners how many properties and how many units you're invested in?
1: Yeah, so as a limited partner, we're in eight different properties, um, one duplex, and the rest are all Molotov family, over 100 units each. So we're in over 1,000 units as a limited partner, and then we've got 600, over 650, uh, five properties that we're general partners in uh, across four states.
0: Awesome. Uh, so where do you live? Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Uh, Austin has been booming and then it quieted down a little bit with interest rates going up, right?
1: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: Very cool area. Did you go to school in Austin too?
1: No, I uh, I grew up in central PA in a very rural part of Pennsylvania uh, on a small little farm and uh, lived in Philadelphia for over a decade. Uh, met my wife there and um, I had uh, left my W2 job and was an entrepreneur and uh, three years ago, almost, uh, she got a job opportunity down here in Austin, and we'd wanted to get out of the Northeast just to get away from some of the winters. And uh, so we uh, moved in during uh, September uh, or October, actually, of 2020. So, you know, right in the middle of, uh, of the initial COVID uh, nonsense. So, uh, yeah, we've been here for almost three years. And uh, other than the oppressive heat uh, it's, it's quite lovely <laughs> in the summer. Right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. it's a much drier heat than the Northeast. Uh, there's not the humidity that you get, uh, up in, in the Northeast and Houston and all that stuff. So it's quite lovely.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't get to speak to too many people from the Northeast. So I'm originally from Connecticut. Um, my wife's from Connecticut. So, oh, is she
1: really? Where? Yeah. Oh gosh. Everybody asked me this and uh, I can't remember. She's, she's moved as though. I know she yeah, lived in no. Danbury for a bit. I was in
0: Brookfield. So I was with um, uh, so okay. Lake and and Danbury and Brookfield, New Milford. They kind of
1: all. Yeah. New Milford. She, uh, she said something about New Milford. Her, uh, her stepdad was a cop up there uh, for a long, long time. So, um, but yeah, so she, she moved to Philly and we met like two months after she moved and the rest is history as they say. So. Yeah. It's funny.
0: Well, I see the migration. There's a lot of, people from California that have moved into, to Texas, but I haven't seen as, as many people from, from new, from new England. Um, well, in any event, um, can you share a little bit about, I know before we got going, you know, you were talking about being an entrepreneur and uh, before moving to, to Austin also. So kind of talk, talk to that, you know, being on your own, starting your own business. And then how did that parlay into real estate investing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll kind of go back. Like I said, I grew up in a very, very small town in Pennsylvania. Um, my exposure to entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism and, and real estate investing was non-existent. So, you know, I grew up in a very much a get a good job at a big company, invest in your 401k, work for 30, 40 years, and hopefully you've got enough money to retire. And and that was kind of the financial acumen and and coaching that I got, you know, as a early, early kind of child and teen. And then Uh, I didn't really get into or even think about real estate until mid-2018. So I graduated college, uh, fell into the recruiting industry. That was uh, something I never knew existed until I was in it. And I have not gotten out of it uh, ever since, uh, for, for better or worse. Um, but um, yeah, moved to Philadelphia in 09, kind of right after and during kind of the financial crisis of 08, 09, um, and just was doing the normal W-2 thing. And um, I was walking to work one day and I was listening to podcasts and, and, and books. And somehow I stumbled upon Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was listening to that book on my walk to work. Um, and literally when I got done with it, uh, uh, my kind of mindset was, was a shift like instantly. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where I had kind of this light bulb moment and was like, what the heck am I doing? Uh, spending all this time and effort helping somebody else, whoever owned the company that I worked for build their business. And yes, I was getting paid to do that, but it was going to take me a really long time to. You know, retire and you know be able to you know enjoy life, if you will. So, um I was in a little bit of a a weird moment because I was like, my mindset had shifted. I wanted to start focusing on investing what little money we had in real estate and you know helping to potentially starting a business and and all of that. Um, but I was married, and so I had to make sure that Allison, my wife was was on the same uh, track as I was. and so i I just kind of asked her, I said, hey, like just read this book and let me know what you think." And luckily she's a really fast reader and she read it in, you know, like a weekend and came to the exact same conclusion that I did and was like, what the heck are we doing? We're not, um, you know, and it was almost like a, there's another path that we can go down that isn't the norm, which is also a little scary uh, because everybody that we knew and grew up with was we're W2 employees and that was kind of the life that we knew. So Um, but we were very focused on marching down that path and mid 2018, once we finished that book, we were like, okay, well, what do we do now? We've got a little bit of money. We weren't independently wealthy. We were both W2 employees making okay money. But, um, so we were like, let's buy a duplex. And I didn't want to go down the single family route because of just the fear of having one unit, one tenant. And if that tenant left, I'm on the hook for the entire mortgage. And we weren't in a financial position at that point to be able to float two mortgages for a handful of months. Um, and uh, yeah, so we kind of shrunk our lifestyle. We decided to, we owned a condo in the city in Philly at that point. Um, we decided to kind of condense our life and, and, you know, spend as little as possible so we could save as much as we possibly could. And we ended up finding a duplex in Pittsburgh, of all places. Um... I couldn't find, we couldn't find anything in Philadelphia that we really liked uh, and that fit our budget and our, uh, we didn't want to do a lot of work. We weren't, I'm not handy by any means. So I wanted to find something that was as turnkey as possible. Um, but Philadelphia, I, we just couldn't find anything that matched our budget and, and all of that. So I literally Googled best real estate investing markets. And this is kind of early 2019 at this point, And the normal players popped up, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Carolina's. But then Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania popped up. And I was like, okay, well, at least that's, you know, in the same state. My mother grew up in Pittsburgh. I spent a lot of time as a, a kid out in Pittsburgh area. So I have some some affinity for the area. And uh, again, I Googled real estate agents in, in, uh, in Pittsburgh. I found one. I called the guy and I said, hey, I'm a new investor. I've got a little bit of money. I want to find a two to four unit apartment complex in this budget. And I need somebody that can help me because I'm not, you know, local. And he's like, cool. Um, so we took three or four months, looked at probably five or six properties. Um, and then we found one that that made sense. And first time I ever saw the property was during the uh, inspection after we got it under contract. So that was kind of our initial journey. Um and I can keep going if you, unless you want to unpack some of that stuff, but there's still more to, more to uncover. Cause I haven't even quit my job yet, which happens uh, soon. <laughs> soon well, I,
0: I think that first of all, for listeners, if you haven't read rich dad, poor dad, that has been the inspiration for a lot of real estate investors to, you know, and you, and you said that you had a mindset shift and then it was totally. another path. And, uh, you know, when you were saying that I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, that kind of being in this world we take for granted that you know we're around so many people in this world that you kind of forget there's so many people that still don't know about that other path. Yeah. And I wonder what life is going to be like when the majority of the people realize that there is another path. You don't have to work for 30, 40 years, you know, for the for the company and not and just build wealth by you know, putting away 10, 15% savings. I've asked people, like, do you know anybody that's become wealthy just by saving 10, 15%? And I get back a resounding no. Yeah. Don't know anybody. So there has to be an, an, another way. And you, you found that early on. So that, that's awesome. Um, so do you still have that duplex?
1: We do. Yeah, actually, uh, we, we just had to do some renovations because we had a, a tenant move out, um, and uh, so now we're kind of in the lease it back up process. Uh, and, you know, I underwrote that deal to make sure that I had enough fluff in the deal to cash flow, but also have a property manager. So we have a property manager that's out there in Pittsburgh um, and we've been working with them ever since we bought it. Uh, and they've been been really great to kind of keep us um with good tenants, um, even throughout COVID, they helped with like, you know, getting people assistance and, and all of that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we still own it. We'll probably own it for a while. I like the, you know, owning an asset and having it be more of a long-term play, uh, you know, whereas the multifamily syndication, which we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, is much more of a longer term flip, you know, as I call it, cause you're not going to hold these things forever. Typically you've got investors that want their you know money back and and friends along with it. So um, so yeah, we like the kind of smaller two to four units that we can buy and own ourselves, um, and then use these uh, multifamily, though with the goal to kind of be more of a, uh, a again like a long-term flip where you put in some money and you hopefully get that back with some with some friends that you can go then you know do more do more deals with.
0: Awesome, awesome. So you get that duplex. You now you you've taken action. You know you kind of know what's going on, and then. Where do you go from there? Are you still a W-2 employee? Do you start your own business? Like, how
1: yeah, you- yeah. so this is kind of where my wife and I uh, are marching at the same pace and on the same path in the sense that, you know, at this point, you know, most of our friends are buying houses, having kids, settling down, putting down roots. And we are, we owned a condo. So we owned our own kind of primary residence at the time. But we realized that in order for us to, to your point, build wealth, one of us needed to um, do something different away from just working, you know, the nine to five, making, you know, decent money, uh, because we weren't going to be able to invest as much uh, as we wanted to, to hit our, our kind of financial goals. And so kind of late 28, uh, 19, we moved to, we downgrade our lifestyle. Like I said, we shrunk our expenses. Um, and we ended up moving out of that condo that we owned uh, and we owned it for a few years and we were able to rent it out. Um, and obviously we, we generated some income from that property um, and we moved into a smaller uh, apartment in the suburbs, uh, again, with this, the simple goal of um, reducing our expenses to the point where my wife's salary could cover our kind of minimal life uh, style in the sense of covering our rent, our car payment, cell phones, you know, food, all that fun stuff. Um, with the goal and the intent for me to quit my W-2 job Um, And start my own recruiting business, but also to have the time to devote to real estate investing more on a full time basis. And so, um, so that's what we did. And, you know, it was, again, 20, end of 2019. uh, Obviously, the economy was strong. COVID wasn't a thing. Uh, And so my goal was, the plan was to move. uh, We moved in the summer of 2019. So the goal was in January of 2020 to quit a very stable six-figure salary W-2 job and start my own recruiting business and do real estate. Uh, And that's what I did. So mid-January, I went into my boss's office. I said, hey, uh, thank you for the opportunity, but I'm going to start my own thing. And the I think it was uh, January like 27th or 28th. uh, I was the you know first day as a full time entrepreneur, business owner, no safety net so to speak of a W two, and uh, literally 30 days later, COVID was a pandemic or something like that. So it was. Um, poor timing <laughs> um, to kind of start a business because if we all remember, recruiting was not doing anything in 2020. Um, everybody was being laid off and and nobody was, you know, essentially moving jobs. So my business went from, you know, this st- startup uh flicker of a flame and, and kind of almost almost went out. Um, but it, it we kept it steady throughout 2019 or 2020, excuse me. Um, and it was a little bit of a blessing because I shifted from these two to four unit apartment complexes into bigger multifamily. Um, for a few months prior to me quitting, my wife and I kind of chased a shiny object. We were listening to Bigger Pockets podcasts. and if you've ever listened to that, uh, literally every guest is a an expert in one form or asset class within. Uh, real estate, whether it's short-term rentals, um, Burr method syndications, et cetera, et cetera. And so we started to like, go oh, that sounds fun. Let's go do that, or let's let's write mailers to property owners and see if we can get some off-market deals. Um, but I kept coming back to the syndication world because one, it sounded really cool to be able to own a 150, 200 unit apartment complex, uh, or at least a sliver of, of ownership um and also you didn't need as much capital you could if you were the deal finder you could build a team and they could bring the capital and the expertise and the things that you needed to actually acquire that deal um and so during 2020 especially in the beginning i spent all of that time because recruiting was so slow underwriting deals deal after deal after deal regardless of if it was in a market that i liked um, I was looking at deals from Florida to Georgia to Texas and Indiana, anywhere I could, you know, underwrite because there wasn't a ton of deal flow in, in early 2020. Um, and also I joined a coaching program because if you've ever started to underwrite, a hundred unit apartment complex, and if you're not independently wealthy and have a lot of experience, there's nothing you can do with it. You can say, Oh, this deal looks great, but I can't buy it. I don't have, you know, 10, $15 million to go acquire this asset uh, or, and I don't also have a track record with, you know, the the lending agencies, etc. So I realized pretty quickly, I needed some help, I needed to find like minded individuals that are uh, way more successful than I was at that point, um, and still am and, you know, piggyback on their experience, because they, you know, likely have stumbled upon, uh, or stumbled uh, every once in a while on different roadblocks. And hopefully, I was going to learn from their mistakes and not have to to stumble. So I spent most of 2020 underwriting deals just to kind of learn the motion. Um, And then uh, we didn't get into our first deal until 2021. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Which uh, coaching program did you join?
1: It's called Think Multifamily. It's uh, Mark Kenny out of, he's based in Dallas.
0: Yep. Cool. Um, So then you said you got your first deal when?
1: So we, we invested in our first deal in, in actually like mid 2020 uh, passively. So, One thing we didn't realize or know about was this really cool vehicle called the Self-Directed IRA. And, um, uh, you know, we had old 401ks from early W-2 jobs that were just sitting there. uh, You know, we were being charged a lot of fees and, you know, they were just kind of subject to the market. And so we were like, okay, well, let's pull out one of our uh, our 401ks, put it into Self-Directed IRA, and we can use that money to invest in... A deal uh, as a passive investor. And so that's what we did uh, for our first two deals. Um, part of that was to get access to multifamily and kind of understand it a little bit more from an investor side uh, because we wanted to make sure, because we knew we were going to find deals eventually, whether we were going to be the deal finder or we were going to be part of the general partnership team and we were going to help to bring in capital and do some investor relations and all of that. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we could explain to our our potential investors, hey, this is what you're going to expect when when we close or leading up to a close, and yeah. and and kind of knowing that motion was really helpful uh, when we did actually become a co GP on our first deal in uh, in 2021.
0: Well, plus I think investors want to say, well, what what you know, what's your experience been, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so if you've been an investor in a few deals and you can say, you know what, I I really like it, like I. One, the returns are better than I was getting in the stock market. Two, I know the people that are managing the deal. and I could pick up the phone and call them. Um, Three, I get monthly reporting and I'm learning about the deal and I'm learning about, you know, the economics of how this works. And um, so I think that that's a a very smart play. You also mentioned, you know, the self-directed IRAs. I mean, I think that a lot of people... me included. When I got involved in this space, I didn't realize you could use retirement money. Yeah. You know, you thought that you just had to have, you know, money that was after it's tax. Cash. That was yeah. cash that was floating around and you could actually take, you know, money that was sitting in, in, you know, a lot of times when somebody leaves their company, they transfer their 401k into an um, IRA and really all, I thought it was complicated, you know, but all it is is just transferring from that IRA into another IRA. Yep. And you could do a self-directed IRA like, like uh, Justin mentioned. Um, you know, I had people in my sphere of influence that, you know, said if you, if you had a company that you could do a solo 401k and that had different tax benefits um, compared to the self-directed IRA. So depending on, you know, each individual, there's, there's different options. But one thing that you said... I think it's very very important um the what the choices that you guys made after reading the book. Yeah. You know, somebody I had a somebody come on and said they gave me this quote and I I remember it. Um, sacrifice now so I could play later versus play now and sacrifice later. Yeah. So the most people are going to go into the W2 and continue to extend themselves into a bigger home into a bigger you know cars and vacations and they they keep increasing their lifestyle and then at the end they don't have the retirement right versus what you guys are planning like you downsized your lifestyle so that you had investment money and then you could put that investment money to work and let that grow yep and then all of a sudden later in life you guys are in a completely different position.
1: Yeah, and we were, like I said, we were in a, you know, we were kind of young, mid-30s, I guess, at that point. And uh, all of our friends were, like I said, having babies and, and moving to the burbs and buying the bigger houses and bigger cars and, and all that, which is fine. Um, I have nothing against that lifestyle, but they looked at us like we had two heads. We're like, oh yeah, we're we're moving out of our really bit nice big condo downtown in the city and we're going to rent this older, smaller apartment and you know, we're not going to go out as much. We're not going to golf as much. Like we're not going to do all the things, but to your point, uh, you know, we were doing things that others weren't. So hopefully, uh, you know, we're on a path that we will not have to be working until we're 65 or 70, um, to, you know, afford a, a life. And so, um, yeah, it was not the, not the easiest thing to do, frankly, because we were, uh, even family were like, "What? What are you doing?" Um, and not that they were discouraging uh, by any means. Our, our families were very supportive in uh, in all of our kind of endeavors. And but it was, you know, again, we were going a little bit against the grain. So uh, you know, everybody that we were talking to, they were like, well, "Wait, what are you doing? You're you're downgrading your life. You're investing in real estate because that was also, you know, not something that everybody did, right?" So especially in our our ecosystem, and then. You know the thing. The, one of our bigger challenges was when we really got into real estate. We were like, okay, well, we want to talk about it a lot because it was super exciting. And none of our friends were at all interested in real estate, other than their primary residence. So we were like, we need to find some people we can actually talk to about real estate with, because you know we'd go out to dinner with a you know our best friends, and we would be like, oh yeah, we're looking at a duplex in you know uh, you know in Philly or or in Pittsburgh, and they're like, wait, what? What are you doing? And they're like, okay, that's cool let's go, let's talk about sports or let's talk about whatever. Um, again, which all those conversations are fine. It was just kind of funny that we were just like, we got to find people we can actually just like have like real estate conversations with. Uh, and so luckily when we obviously, when we, um, you know, joined that coaching program, we, we had an uh, already built ecosystem of people that we could reach out to and just talk to about deals and real estate and challenges and, and markets and things like that. So, um, yeah it was that was one of our better moves to join a a group because I don't think we would be uh anywhere near as far as we are um if if we wouldn't have joined that group i think we it would have been harder to find deals it would' have been harder to invest in them and um you know we already had a a and the confidence. Deal that we know like and trust
0: you yeah. know the, the, you know it's it is scary going into these bigger deals, but then if you align yourself with other people that have already done it. You know, either by partnering with them and or by just getting education from them and getting encouragement that it works. Yeah. It, it gives you the confidence to take that next step where, you know, most of us, you know, the your contacts and your family and friends, if they're not involved in that, it's very hard to make that decision to, to move forward without having a model to to go after. Um, the other thing you said was, you said, you know, when you were starting your job, you said it was a blessing. I'm sure you didn't feel that way, you know?
1: Oh, at, no. At yeah, the time. 20, 2020 was rough.
0: No, it's just that it's weird about life how that happens. Is like sometimes when you're in the middle of something so, what feels so bad, you know, later, five years down the road, you look back and you're like, You know what, I'm thankful that I went through that. It built character or it helped me pivot. Like you would have, yeah, you would have had a company that, and maybe your company would have been killing it, you know. Um, But you probably wouldn't have gotten into the larger multifamily syndication because of it, you know. Um, But what I applaud you on is that you actually, you didn't just whine and go into the closet. Like you actually were like, okay, this isn't working. So I'm going to pivot and, and look for something that will.
1: Yeah, I mean, 2020 was rough uh, for a lot of reasons. It was very stressful because, you know, like I said, I gave up a very stable uh, six-figure salary to, to start this business. And, you know, at the time, my wife... Um, was making enough, like I said, because we downgraded our lives. That if I didn't make a dime in recruiting, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It, it didn't impact our our lives financially. We wouldn't have had to dip into any of our savings. We would have kind of just been steady Eddie at that point. Um, and luckily, she kept a job because that was the most stressful part. Is not necessarily yes. Uh, business was not as booming as I anticipated it being. Um, but you know, we were just kind of waiting for my wife to get laid off because we were just afraid that you know luckily she was in a big company and she was in a division of that company that was critical uh she was working at comcast at the time and uh she was in hr supporting their kind of infrastructure team so essentially the people that were keeping the wi-fi and the internet live uh, all across the nation for comcast customers and that was a very obviously important team at that point because everybody was using wi-fi and internet and zoom and all that stuff so um so anyway, so like luckily she did not get laid off. That would have been a, a probably a different conversation, and we may not be talking at this moment. But <laughs> um, but luckily it, it didn't happen. And then you know as as twenty twenty shifted, we got to move to Austin, um, which is great. That, that was a great move on our part. Uh, we love the Northeast and still love it, but you know we wanted a little bit of change of scenery, and you know we got it down here. Um, and also Texas is a great investment market. Austin is crazy competitive, um, and not necessarily a market that I target just because of the competitive nature of it. And and there's a lot of private equity and institutional money that's investing that is hard for a general syndicator like myself to compete with. Um, so yeah, like in the moment it was awful. Um, 2020 was awful in the moment, but I, if I would have waited and said, Hey, I'm going to quit in March, um, to start my business, I wouldn't have quit. Because COVID once the point,
0: pandemic happened, you would yeah,
1: have I would never have quit. Right. And I probably wouldn't have done it at this point because I would have been too scared. I'm a very risk averse person. Um, so I don't take uncalculated risks. Um, and so that would have been, I, I probably wouldn't have quit. I probably would have still be doing the W2 thing and, and maybe, uh, still investing in real estate, but not at the pace that I was, um, when, when real estate was, you know, in its heyday the last couple of years, but, um, but yeah, it was a journey and I'm glad I went on it. And, you know, luckily 2021, everybody started hiring again. And 2021 and 22 and so far in 23 has been, you know, great from a, a recruiting business perspective. And that's allowed us to uh, still live off of my wife's salary. So I don't fund my business, doesn't fund any of our life. Um, so all of our expenses, and we've been able to buy a really nice house in outside of Austin. Um, and so we have our primary residence, we have our roots, and so we, you know, we take all the money that I make in recruiting and invest it in uh, real estate or or other startup investments and, and things like that. So again, it's allowed us to kind of um, invest for the future, and we're still not living above our means, which you know a lot of people live at or above. Um, and so we, you know, we still only have one car, like a lot of people in Texas. Uh, with two people that are driver, drive, driver age, uh, they have two vehicles, if not three. So, you know, we still have one car and we make it work and we don't do that because we can't afford a second car. We just don't need it, frankly, because um, we both work from home predominantly. And, um, you know, we want to we save as much as we possibly can to be able to invest as much as possibly can. So
0: that's, that's awesome. So talk about, you know, in this 30,000 foot level, like lessons learned you know, part of it is, you know, obviously you learn a lot about real estate investing. Part of it is mindset. Like, you know, um, so what would you say to other people that are thinking about getting in involved in real estate investing? Um, some lessons learned that you went through your journey.
1: Yeah. I think if, if you're going to be a passive investor to start out, right, let's say you, Found this podcast because you knew one of us, or you just happened upon it, and you have never invested in real estate before, and this is kind of your first entry point. Um, get educated, go to conferences, listen to podcasts. Like the 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 downside or the negative of just kind of looking on social media, everybody looks like a rock star um, on social media, and you have to be able to find people that you know like and trust and it's hard to get to know somebody unless you meet them whether it's via zoom phone call in person whatever um and really kind of learn about that person and their track record but also you do need to get a little bit educated on the asset class that you're investing in so whether it's multifamily or short-term rentals or single family um there's different things that you need to know about uh when it comes to underwriting and you don't need to be a guru in underwriting by any means but you need to know enough to ask questions uh, when a deal comes out because every every deal that comes out looks great because it's an Excel document that you can manipulate and, and be aggressive in one area and conservative in another area. And so you just need to know an, a, enough to be dangerous and en- ask the right questions uh, of that operator that is bringing you that deal um, because you're likely going to be giving them 50, 150, 200 grand of your own hard-earned money for three to five years, right like these are illiquid assets, meaning you're not going to be able to pull that money out if you have a oh crap moment uh, in your life uh, now there are ways to do it, but it's not easy um, and so you know you need to think about that as kind of like okay what what can I afford to invest uh, and I do like investing in real estate because versus like a stock is that stock can go to zero and your investment is zero uh, whereas Right now, we're recording this in August of 23. um, Real estate is in a weird flux point because there's a lot of people that have high interest rate bridge debt that maybe they do or don't have a cap rate or a cap um, or interest rate cap. Um, And so there's deals that are suffering and but they're still backed by real estate. So there is an asset that you can still sell to gain, to get back your principal that you invested um, maybe a little bit of return, maybe a little bit less than you're actually invested, but at least it's not a zero sum game. Um, so I like that kind of risk averseness of it.
0: Um, Let me jump in here for, yeah. uh, on that. The, the, the flux of today. Um, oh, cause I want to get your take on this is that, yep. so I'm a passive in a lot of deals. I'm also a GP in a lot of deals like The market is in a weird flux today, Um, but we like know that what interest rates are today. Like, so so we know what insurance costs are today. We can underwrite for that, where I'm in some deals that were from last year, the year before, that those deals were in at, you know, much lower interest rates. And there was no way to know that the the Fed was going to increase rates this dramatically. So I I don't know if you believe this, but I believe that today is less risky than it was a year or two ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish I could find a deal that could make financial sense right now to invest in because I think if you can buy it, if you can invest in a deal today, um, it should be a great deal for the hold period, however long you're going to hold it because- you know, if you bought a deal in 2021, rates were three, four, two, three, four percent, right? And you underwrite with a little bit of an increase over those five years, but you're not going to have a, you know, a double your, you know, three to six or three and a half to seven percent increase, right? You're just not going to underwrite that because nobody knew that was going to happen. Whereas now if you can make a deal work at seven or seven and a half percent interest likely if you refinance that in two to three years, it's going to be less than that. Right. So um, yeah, I I think it's, it's a very similar parallel to the, to the residential market is, you know, I talked to some people and they're like, Oh, I was going to buy a house last year and I can't, you know, I I don't, I'm going to sit out the market and I'm like, I would love to be a buyer of a residential property, whether it's a a residential house right now, because I would love to find a house that I could afford at seven and a half, because I know In two, three, four years, I can refinance that and my mortgage goes down and, you know, I'm not spending as much money on my mortgage. So yeah, I think right now, if you can find a deal that works, uh, which I think there's still a delta between what sellers are wanting, they still want 2021 valuations. Um, And if you can make it work right now with conservative underwriting, as far as rent growth is concerned, because some of the deals that I I looked at in the last two years are coming back out uh, because they are on bridge debt and we're getting to that two to three year mark where bridge debt needs to be refinanced into agency because that's typically the term. And they're either not able to get agency debt because they're not at a debt service ratio or they're not at an occupancy level. Um, So there's some pain out there that syndicators are experiencing. And uh, I think there's going to be some some pain that's going to need to be shuffled around and uh, there's going to be some op- buying opportunities. So I'm still looking, I, I'm not as aggressively underwriting as I was in 2021 or 2022 uh, in the first half, but, but yeah, I think if you can get a deal now, it's prime time in my mind.
0: Yeah. So what is your take? So we're going to like the press related to multifamily and commercial real estate in general, there's a, a lot. You mentioned bridge loans. There's a lot of bridge loans that are coming due this year, next year, the following year. Um, and so, you know, I have some people that are saying, like, I'm on the sidelines. I'm waiting for all these, you know, major distressed deals to come to market. Um, and I think that there will be, you know, deals that come to market. My question mark, though, is are we going to have the flood that, everybody is, you know, kind of pitching. I'm of the mindset, and I could be wrong, this is just my personal opinion, is that more lenders than not are going to extend. So you know, the the loan is coming due, the end of this year or next year. I think that the real trouble in commercial real estate is with office right now, and that lenders are focused on trying to figure out a solution for office. Um, So you know, I think they're going to kick the can down the road and let let's see if the economy, you know, stays, you know, where it doesn't go into a downspin and give the operators some more time to implement the business plan.
1: Yeah, I think that that's by and large kind of how I feel. I don't think there's going to be this massive like influx of discount, you know, bargain basement discount deals that are out there. Um that'd be great. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, I think you've seen the headlines. There's been a handful of deals that have gone to default and gone back into, you know, where the bank's taking them over and, and they've made press about them. Um, but it's kind of like anything, they blow up one or two deals that that happens to. And I haven't seen that be a recurring theme. I'm also not an expert and I don't track, you know, every deal that's out there um, at the moment. So I'm sure there are deals that have, kind of um, died on the vine, so to speak, and investors have probably lost some some investment. But you know, I can only speak to the deals that I am aware of, uh, ones that I'm in and ones that I know people are in and you know knock on wood the deals that I'm in. Um, they're they pause distributions like a lot of deals have to make sure cash flow uh, is there to operate the the building or the property. Um, but there have been other groups, uh, and other, uh, investments that people have made that are, you know, doing capital calls. And that's when, you know, you've got to lean on your investors, limited partner investors to put more money in the deal, to keep it alive. Um, so it doesn't go to, to the bank or default, or you don't have to recapitalize it by bringing in a brand new investor. So, um, yeah, by and large, I don't necessarily think there's going to be this like, flood of, of, of distressed deals. Um, I'm seeing a handful that are coming out where they're, um, interested in selling at the right price. But again, there's still a little bit of a Delta between what I think, what, in my opinion, reality is and, and what the sellers want. Um, you're probably right that there'll be a lot of lenders that will give them another year and just extend terms. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to refinance right now that just can't figure that out because they don't have the the debt service and they don't have the occupancy right. to to do it. So, um I'm like I said, I'm keeping my eyes open in specific areas and um I'm I'm less I'm focusing on less markets now um because I do want to find deals that are in um more primary and secondary markets versus tertiary just because raising money right now is not in my, in in my view is not as easy as it was in 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a lot of investors, like you said, uh, that are kind of waiting um, and whether they're waiting for better opportunities or they're just waiting because they're there's nerves and they just don't want to, you know, invest in deals because they haven't seen returns lately. Right. They haven't been, you know, getting those distributions um, while it is accruing, because, you know, there's a pref, um, it's just not something that they're getting, you know, monthly, which makes their ability to are interested in investing in more deals, you know, more abundant, because they're like, oh, this is working. So let me just pump more money into it. And I'll make more money from a right. return perspective. So
0: yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, it makes people that they put money in, if they're not, all of a sudden they're in deals and they start not getting the distributions, it makes them nervous to put more money in. In addition, used to be like you get nothing at a bank, you know, with cash. Now all of a sudden people are like, oh, risk-free, I'm, I, got, I make 5%. I've got my multifamily distributions cut off on this other, you know, side. So I'm just going to put my money in the bank mm-hmm. and take that 5%. But, if interest rates were to drop, you know that could go away, you know, like that. yeah. Um, so that's that's the thing that people have to to think about
1: I mean, it's a good bridge, right? it's It's a good kind of hedge against what's going on because they're not getting, you know, especially if you're you're ex, expecting to try to live off of the cash flow, right? I know a couple of people that um you know they've invested heavily over the last you know two, three, four, five, ten years, whatever, and they've built up a passive income stream that is that allows them to live their life uh and if some of those you know streams start to to dry up in the sense that they're not getting distributions at the moment you know that can impact their their lifestyle right Absolutely. and so i think if you have the the cash to put into um in my opinion short-term kind of less risky assets like t-bills or high interest rate savings accounts things like that um then do it to kind of you know, at least get some type of a, a return on that investment, but then have that not be locked into something long term, where you can't then pull it out as you start to see the real estate market open up, and you can't deploy that. So I've invested in T bills over the last you know six eight months just because it's you know four five percent. You know it's risk free unless they don't fund the the government, um, right. and so. But you know, there, there's a lot of other options out there right now. Um, debt funds. We've invested in a debt fund that you know is not a not an appreciation play, right? It's just a cash flow play, and you know we're getting I think six on percent on one, eight percent on the other. So you know, it's it's a again, I can pull that money out in with 90 days notice, and so it's a a less risky but a cash flow focused investment um, versus multifamily, which kind of reason why we love it is it, tend, it when things are good uh, and operating smoothly, there's you get the best of both worlds. You get some cash flow through the hold period and then you get, you know, a nice appreciation bump, uh, you know, at the exit. So um, so yeah, I think right now it's a uh, diversification wins the day um, in preparation to go back into multifamily investing uh, in my mind or, um, you know, there's other asset classes that I'm starting to look at outside of multifamily, um, but definitely won't look at office. I am very glad that that was never on my radar. Uh, being in the recruiting business that I'm in, uh, I get a first uh, a front row seat to all the companies that are not renewing leases and uh, moving to a more hybrid or remote first environment. So yeah, I don't know what uh, office space is going to look like in the next two, three, four, five, ten 10 years. Um, but uh, I think a lot of uh, I saw an article the other day that Boston is doing a big tax incentive for and developers to convert uh, a lot of their vacant uh, condo or uh, a lot of their vacant office buildings into condos or apartments. So uh, that may be the trend of of the future, where there's just a lot more office uh, conversions into into apartments or condos.
0: Absolutely, I think I think that could be a big opportunity is repurposing those offices into either multifamily or condos. What I didn't, what I saw a video on recently, I think this was uh, related to New York is that the, yeah, the uh, vacancy has to be low enough to be able to like some of the vacancy is, you know, 30% vacant. Well, that's not low enough to convert. Mm. They're, they're talking, you know, because they need, they need it to be like, I don't know, under under 50% or something. Right. Um, So that they have enough to convert in that building. So they're, they're saying the stock of inventory that even fits a potential for a repurpose is, you know, is low. Yeah. Which that, I never had heard of that before. And all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, that makes sense. You know, because you have all these other tenants that, you know, or businesses that maybe have still have three years on their lease or five years on yeah. their lease and, and you can't kick them out, you know? And so you, the money is going to be to rehab the, that building can only be applied to a few floors, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And I'm not in that space, so I don't know what the economics look like, but I have to imagine that's there's a very obviously capital intensive to, you know, A, buy the building and B, you know, convert an office into apartments. Uh, obviously right. you have some infrastructure already in the building, but you've got to add plumbing and all the other stuff that, you know, again, I'm not in that development space, but. So uh, now but where yeah. do you go
0: from here? You know, you started a business, the business mm-hmm. is going well, you're in real estate investing, you got into the big boy multifamily. Like, so where do you go from here?
1: Uh, so right now I'm starting to look at short-term rentals. Um, for a number of reasons, um, I, I avoided them because I, I'm nervous about the regulation piece of it. Where you know, if you buy a, a property in the wrong area, um, not only could the states uh, kind of put a, a clamp down on short-term rentals, but also HOAs could if you get a different HOA president. So uh, I've been a little hesitant, but I've talked to enough people over the last probably six months that um, it, it's a it, it can be if you if done right a very high cash flow. Investment. And right now, um, that's kind of where I'm focusing because, but like I said earlier, multifamily right now is not providing the cash flow that it did a year ago, right? Or, or two years right. ago. So um, I think diversifying my portfolio specifically is where I'm focused, and looking at short term rentals is a good option to um, bring in more cash flow per deal. And then use that to invest either in more short-term rentals or to invest in in multifamily. Um, I'm not going to shift all of my you know investments from multifamily to short-term rentals, but that's kind of the the balance that I like is you know short-term rentals provide a, a, typically a lot of cash, um, but not as much appreciation, right? There can be appreciation, but not as much, depending on how long you hold it. Um, but multifamily is much more of a, right now an appreciation game, you're playing that I'm going to hold it for five years and sell it for enough where I'm going to, you know, hopefully double my, my investment. So, so yeah, that's what I'm starting to look at right now. Um, I haven't dug deep enough, but I've got a couple people that I'm talking to, um, to go after, uh, more of a luxury style investment, um, in kind of primary tourist, uh, spots. So not buying a, you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollar condo on the beach somewhere, but buying you know a one two million dollar house in you know aspen or you know something like that where uh even in in uh kind of even in a recessionary economy if we do move into a recession, the people that would rent that uh that house are typically your higher end in uh, buyer right or your higher end traveler, and so maybe their um pullback on spending is instead of going to Europe or the Caribbean or something like that they're going to go to someplace in the u s and spend time with their family um, so it, it should be uh, a little bit more um, safer of a play than to go after kind of the mass airbnb short term rental market uh, of like buying a condo on the beach somewhere and just hoping that yours is uh, the one that somebody picks so
0: right so i i'm like you i have I have not done any short-term rentals and I have, I know people that have told me that the cash flow is just crazy good. Yeah. So the two pieces that have held me back, one, I, I'm more, fo- I'm just more focused on multifamily, but, um, two is, is, you know, like you said, there's, there's cities that are outlawing it. There's HOAs that are outlawing it, and like they may have been allowed for the last three years and people are like banking money. And then all of a sudden overnight it could be shut down. Yeah. And then secondly, is that the worry about all of a sudden you have one or two or five or 10 properties and the whole travel industry like goes quiet. And then, you know, now you have three or four or five, you know, mortgages that you have to pay. Yep. You know, so understanding that that is a risk. Those two things have kind of held me back. But one thing I really like about it, in terms of like, if you think about okay, over the next ten years, well, you're not going to really go stay at your apartment complexes,
1: right? right? Yeah, but exactly.
0: You you buy a house in Aspen this year, and then you buy you know a, a condo or a house or whatever in a in a beach location, and then a, you know, and you scatter them around, and then you get to the point where your cash flow is good where you rent it out 11 months of the year and you use it one month, you know, and you can't do that with a lot of different real estate investments. And you can, you know, with, with short term rentals, if it's the, if, if you're buying what you would want to stay in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing my wife and I've realized, uh, this is our third summer in, in Austin and, uh, it's hot and uh while again like i said in the beginning it's not humid which humid is my my bugaboo i don't like humidity um but we we are thinking about um keeping our obviously keeping our house here in austin but uh, buying something a uh, short term rental type scenario where we can live in it in july and august uh can get out of this uh this heat so uh maybe move into uh, to a colorado or something like that would be uh, would be nice uh when it's not so hot so so yeah, I, I do like the short-term rental game from the cash flow and usability perspective. Um, but yeah, the regulation thing is is can be a you know a detractor for a lot of people. But um, but yeah, you just got to be careful and make sure you're doing your due diligence on on the market and the regulations. And you know, there are certain states that are more friendly to apartment in, in complexes and, and renters in general uh, or landlords in general. So yeah, it's just you got to. Make sure you're crossing T's and dot and I's for sure.
0: Awesome. Justin, if people want to get to know you better, what's the, the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: yeah best place to, to find me is linkedin i i'm i'm very active on there um so my, my linkedin profile is probably the best but if they want to kind of reach out and learn more uh we've got our our investing website greatventurecapital.com uh and my email is just justin at greatventurecapital.com if you want to hear my voice and interview people like darren uh we've got our podcast work hard invest harder so uh check that out too
0: Fantastic. Justin, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing
1: off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.